Welcome back. Um, this is our second episode addressing Gilmore Girls because it is, well, it's like, what, seven seasons and then another additional a year in the life. And finally, Phoebe finished till season seven. But, Phoebe, you said you couldn't bear to go through a se- like a year in the life. By the time I got to the end of season seven, I strongly suspected that a year in the life would majorly piss me off. So, with the spoilers, <laughs> and then I was like, oh yeah, I am majorly pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> well, in this second episode, we want to dig into why, actually for both of us, why there were disappointing parts in Gilmore Girls, what other themes resonate well with an Asian context, and how we can compare and contrast and see where this discussion takes us. Are you ready, Phoebe? Yeah, so the first character I really want to address is Rory, because she is the one yes. that gets my anger going. I think um, she's like the type of girl where like in the beginning we identified with her so much because we all started out like her. As Asian kids, the first thing you're taught to do is to be submissive, to be... Oops, I'm drinking too much and burping. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of a sad way to frame it, being submissive. But we're more like the good girl archetype. I mean, Rory is the good girl archetype. Um, She's... Rel- well, she's not passive entirely because, well, no one's entirely passive. I mean, you have to be a very distinct ha- character for someone to say this person is entirely passive. I mean, there are her moments where she shines as her character um, tries to stick to a principle or stand up for herself. Yes, there are those moments. But in- generally speaking, she's a very passive student. That's why she does so well within the system. But once she hits adulthood, a lot of things derail from her side of the story. And it's really disappointing. Yeah, exactly. That was the part that totally took me um, out of surprise because (laughs) it was always my belief that if you worked hard like Rory and had privileges Mm. like Rory, then you would end up with the success that you want. Like Even if not incredible success, I expect you to be at a happy and fulfilled place in your life, which she is not at the end of the show. She's all over the place. Sounds like what people say when they want you to believe in the model minority myth like just try hard work your ass off and the american dream will be handed to you as long as you follow the rules <laughs> yeah but this is like the asian dream not the american dream the american dream is kind of mm. like more entrepreneurial building your like life. gatsby yeah like that kind of mm. thing the asian dream is you study hard you become doctor you bring honor to your family right and Rory is basically within that archetype, but she went, woo! I mean, I feel like she was also put in an interesting position. She had a lot of privilege, and she had grandparents that were the type of type of people who thought that their privilege with a certain dose of overachievingness in their genes would take her to great places. And as her mother, her mother wanted to follow her heart and be successful in whichever way she, success was defined for Rory specifically but I think she definitely struggled to find somewhere in between which is why she turned out so easy and hard to relate you because you could almost see yourself turning into Rory if you were put in that like semi-contemporary also traditional mindset where you're like yes I should try hard and honor my family bring money to the family not just honor us lots of money copious <laughs> amounts of money but hey it's a modern it's a modern era. I'm supposed to like follow my dreams, be true to myself, redefine what it means to be successful. Don't be so attached to material goods, yada, yada, yada. Like, you know, go against capitalism and stuff. But, you know, that could be a very slippery soap, especially for Rory's case. Yeah. So I w- when I was complaining to you about how unrealistic I think Rory's storyline is, you told me with great privilege comes mediocre success. You want to talk <laughs> about why you think that? I, I feel like, um, especially with Rory's case, and I feel like this is, like, actually seen in Asians as well, because, like, when... I'm not saying, like, all Asians are like this, but I feel like a significant portion of Asians can be caught in this mentality for a period of time, because we're taught to follow the rules, we're taught to color within the lines, um, and usually for you to focus on coloring in the lines, you need to come from a certain privileged standpoint if you are the type of kid that's busy helping out with the family business dealing with drug addicts it's hard for you to focus on the lines you are all over the place because life is exploding right in front of you but 
with that type of, I'd say, that type of adversity, perhaps train someone to become more flexible and adaptable to challenges and curveballs curve thrown at them. But for, for Rory, someone who only needed to follow the rules, she wasn't really trained for much. And I think that's what a lot of Asians end up doing. They're, they're brilliant students. They're very good at working hard. But anything beyond that, what's left? And I mean kids that are like praised for being good at these. These are the kids that you are grown up, t- that you grew up to be, uh, that you're told while you're growing up. Like these are the sex- successful ones. They, got, they go into elite schools. They become doctors. They become lawyers. And then the moment something crashes, are they ever prepared for anything? Any criticism? That is right? true. She is so bad at receiving criticism. And <laughs> that was a part that jarred me from identifying with her 100% because I didn't realize mm. before in the past the, I guess, adversity in my past that has helped me to take criticism yeah. and grow as a person. And I expected mm-hmm. her to have that as well without considering that she's been in a much more privileged environment than I have and given, you know, mm-hmm. the American supportive, encouraging education. So mm-hmm. whenever someone tells her that she doesn't have it or she's not doing well, she doesn't react mm-hmm. at all gracefully. She's just She just totally explodes at any indication that she is not yeah. shaping up to be who she wants to be. Yeah, and this was pretty obvious when uh, she took that gig from Mitchum, right, to intern at his at, at that newsroom that he was trying to build up. Yeah, and I think I think what she experienced was so relatable because, as an Asian, if you are ever the type of Asian that's fresh off the boat, decided to study overseas in a place like what like America, where speaking your mind, engaging in class discussion is like a given. And to be honest, sometimes I think Americans take this thing for granted so like so much because they just talk a lot in class they and sometimes do. i'm sorry sometimes doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense or it's or it's kind of irrelevant but we're it's such a safe space for anybody to speak so people are used to just like producing content no right? matter what shit um, they're spewing they're very confident yeah, in spewing and, it. yeah and i think asians just told to like we have a um we, we have these like concepts embedded in our mind since like infanthood where like if you don't have anything better to say if you can't promise this type some type of quality to the content you're spinning shut the fuck up exactly no one, no one will know you're an idiot don't let anybody know that you're an idiot okay trauma story when i was in <laughs> chinese high school if the teacher called on you and you stood up to answer the question and you got it wrong you would have to remain standing to think about your shame of answering the question wrong Ew, that's disgusting. It, really? They yeah. did that? Wow. They don't do that in Taiwan? You're lucky. No, but I think I had a different experience because um, I stood out in certain subjects that I was interested in, which meant for those subjects like history, culture, or English, I spent a lot of time, you know, improving what I knew about that specific subject. So I was always able to engage in class in a way that might have led the teacher off track because like, you know, we brought new topics to address yada, yada, yada. And that type of like engagement actually pissed people off. And I got bullied for that, for speaking too much. I can imagine that. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, in either way, we were always told to just shut up. I've always been told in my life, you know, my dad will say, say, look at that chair. I'm like, yeah. He's like, if there were um a needle not a needle um a nail sticking right out of that chair what do you think people would do i'm like hammer it back he's like that's exactly so you should never stand out in a crowd wow that's depressing that's depressing and i was like what really okay and then you see rory and you're like she's so meek she's so careful about what she says and you're like that's me that's me in every class i took in an american university i was like i'm dumb what if I say something that's gonna make people like bring shame to Taiwanese people? Should I say it? And then you listen to another classmate and they're just spinning nonsense and you're like, wait, I'm confused. Am I living in a parallel universe? Nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally with you there. And I can just imagine <laughs> being Rory at her first internship. She's not used to this corporate environment. She's just mm-hmm. trying no. to impress everyone and doing her best. And she ends up just kind of being a really good secretary, which 
to be mm. fair, I, I think it's already pretty great for a university kid on on her first internship. Yeah. If you're not screwing up things royally, you're already doing great. But that is kind of an indication of her career to come. Well, I feel like what she did at that time wasn't entirely a bad thing if she took Mitchum's criticism constructively. Absolutely. Like he's saying you're not ballsy enough. But you should also know that Rory's very good at observing the mind and she's very good at anticipating others' needs, which means she could very, be very good at networking. Yeah. Right? And that would bring her a lot of opportunities as a person that's trying to work in media because it's mainly about networking and knowing the right people and knowing where to where to get the most valuable resources, right? So she could have easily tried to approach her. I mean, it's hard, though, because, like, I mean, maybe she's suffering from some type of imposter syndrome. I'm not entirely sure, at least... From that perspective, I would understand why, but she could have learned how to make the best of both things. That's what we would have hoped for, but instead she just yeah. stole a boat and uh, got community service and dropped out of school. <laughs> After I got over the initial horror of dropping out of Yale, because why would you <laughs> let go of such a golden opportunity? But then I was like, yeah, okay, maybe she does need an opportunity to think over her life choices. She's always thought she wanted to do journalism. Maybe she can take this as an opportunity to consider what she's really good at. But she doesn't, does she? She just mm -hmm. kind of coasts along and nobody, nobody is really telling her to, you know, actually use this time to, like, think her life mm -hmm. through and make a real character development instead of just at the end of it snapping out like what am I thinking back to you I think she just falls back into her comfort zone she's used to being praised because she's perfect yeah right? basically. She's, to be a good journalist you mean you're gonna have to re rejection is basically what journalists you know live and breathe right you're not gonna get any, in any interview on you're gonna have a hard time trying to get closer to your source you're gonna be yelled at pushed away just because you're doing your job and i don't think rory's up for that she immediately went into helping out emily with the dra or dar wait daughters of america oh sorry yeah dar yeah. right honestly she seems like she would be a really great event organizer which is not bad yeah you know it's not bad but um i i feel like the america ah, not is, that, is there a right to say the american side of her I say I say that the American side of her gives her more time to relax about her career because Asians are a lot more time sensitive about career or professional development. It's like there's always a tight timeline. So I feel like in that part, she's a lot less relatable. But here's the question that I want to ask you, Phoebe. We know that Rory's very much Asian in terms of how we define Asianness. Um, and we know that she reacted to Mitch's criticism quite, Im I wouldn't say immaturely. Well, well she took it bad. Yeah. But as an Asian, how do you think Asians are good or bad at taking criticism? Because I feel like there's still that nuance, there's still that difference, because we, we're not brought up in this environment where like we're cheered upon all the time. Yeah, I, I would say that on the whole, Asians are not the greatest at taking criticism either. Mm -hmm. like, it tends mm -hmm. to give us personality issues, you know, insecurities. I don't know how it was like in Taiwan for you, but the the Chinese education system relied a lot on humiliation to encourage students mm. to do their best. So does that make you better at enduring criticism or does that well, make, make you more Well, we're more used to criticism, but it also kind of beats down your personality and your confidence. I think it depends on what... I, I think I was born in that time where, like, Taiwan's educational system was going through this transition period where more teachers were adapting and more, like, let's use love and inspiration rather than a, you suck, try harder. You think this is going to get you in here with that attitude type of rhetoric? Um, but I know that Asian parents are always overly critical. Let's, like, let's set the teachers aside. Just the parents themselves, they can be critical without even knowing it. And I think to respond to what you just said the personality issues we we aren't better at taking criticism we anticipate criticism yes and then we dig a hole and we stay in there and we feel extremely sorry about ourselves and we wonder what's the point <laughs> <laughs> i relate so much to your point about parents because i called my mother earlier today and let's mm -hmm. consider for context i graduated from ucl I got a job in London during the coronavirus pandemic. I earn a good living. And the first thing my mom wants to talk about when I call her is, 
are you spending your time constructively? Are you learning a language? Are you taking a qualification or something? <laughs> Because you need to learn more skills <laughs> to stay relevant in the market and do well at your job. Do your boss like? Do your boss and your colleagues like you? So yeah, my my mom is always great <laughs> at reminding me of all the things I should be doing, but I'm not doing. So mom, I'm starting a podcast. If this all goes well, I might end up being famous, and I won't have to worry about that. Yeah, I told my <laughs> mom about the podcast, and my mom was like, "What's the purpose of it? What are you trying to get out of it? You can't just have a hobby. It needs to be, you know, something that will make money or advance your career somehow. Something focused and productive, you know." Well, media is a very specific field that one needs to spend a lot of time in it to cultivate. Um, certain skills and mindsets and attitudes and thoughts, you know, to survive in it. So. I know what I'm saying. I'm half drunk, but tell your mom that <laughs> if all goes well, she doesn't really have to worry about much because hey, every experience is worth something in the end. You're gonna learn from it if you approach it constructively, which Rory didn't. So that brings us back to the show. That's true. Um, we just talked about how Asian parents can be very condescending. They can be overly critical, even though they love us to death. Do you think that Rory was called too much and needs more of an Asian tiger mom like Mrs. Kim? Yes. I, I I think from the extreme of my Asian parent and Lorelai being the most supportive mother and basically big sister in the world, she needs something more in the middle. Yeah, I feel like Rory was born with the Asian mentality, but she lacked that Asian parent to sculpt it into something more. This is very ableist to say, but very productive, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I the her mom. Well, Lorelai's. Well, she she represents the perfect American parent, supportive, fun, quirky, understanding, like, Im- but stable for her. Imagine Mrs. Kim as Rory's mom instead. How do you think she would react <laughs> if Rory said, "Okay, I'm dropping out of Yale. I did not raise you to give up like this. Go back to school, face your problems, and fix it with that boy." A hundred percent. Mrs. Kim would have it. Mrs. Kim always brings it. <laughs> Do you think that Rory eventually becomes very boring? Because I feel like I think, like I, I actually feel uncomfortable saying that she becomes boring because I see so much of ourselves that could go wrong if we accidentally became Rory. She's such an Asian. She did everything right, and then she failed at. She didn't fail at being a smart student. She didn't fail at having a plan to be successful. She, f- how do you put this? She failed. She just didn't have the drive and the passion to, yeah, actually get there. She liked the idea of getting there, but I don't know. Yes, yeah, yeah, but is. that's very relatable for totally an Asian relatable. because there are definitely Asians like Paris and and they're warmongers in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> but I feel like in worry sense, like it's so easy to not know where to focus because as Asians. We're never told why we're being so focused. I mean, why does it matter if I get if I'm at the top of the class? Why does it matter if I become a doctor? Like, uh, have you seen that stand-up bit by Ronnie Chang, Mm-mm. where he talks about what how Asian parents react to Chinese and Western medicine and how they always want their kids to become doctors? So, <laughs> yeah, that's relatable. So, so long story short, Asian parents hate Western medicine. They always rely on Chinese medicine because it makes more sense to them. But they always want their kids to become doctors because they assume that doctors take money from patients and they want their kids to take money. And you know, helping people is really not the focus. So back to your point, I don't think Rory was ever given, not given. I don't think Rory figured out her real purpose. Why did she want to be Christiana Monpour? Yeah, it never really tells you, right? Yeah, they just said that she's wanted this ever since she was a little kid. But I have wanted plenty of things when I was a little kid that I eventually realized yeah. was not. I won an Oscar when I was nine. <laughs> <laughs> did you write? A I speech? practiced my Oscar speech multiple times. Yes, I did. I had a speech. I was like, I want to thank my mom. That's adorable been, for not for her. You know, I've actually this is embarrassing a bit, but I actually done this. Like, I've actually imagined my speech, and then I was left in tears because it was. So- <laughs> shower thoughts wow i I didn't think i would come to this moment i'd like to thank my parents and my dog oh my god so emotional yes yeah i feel like rory was never given a very definite purpose like what makes rory worry besides the fact that she reads besides the fact that she's observant and personally those are very good qualities but i don't even think rory understands that these are good qualities for her 
And that's the problem. That's every Asian's problem. Why are we working so hard? Yeah. What, what does it mean to bring honor to us, to the family, to us all, right? Rory and all of us <laughs> could probably benefit from a bit of self-reflection. Like, why am I the way I am? Why do I want to mm-hmm. pursue journalism so much? And I feel like she didn't mm-hmm. do that. And that's why by the time she's in her 30s, well, okay, confession, I did go and watch a little bit of a year in the life after I got over <laughs> my anger because I was a bit curious to see how old they would look after 15 years. Just compared to all the characters in the show, like the the author she was working with, the British one, Naomi, and Logan, and even Lorelai, mm-hmm. everyone else has mm-hmm. passion and fire and uh, personality. Whereas Rory is, is this meek little thing like, oh, okay, I'll write this and, you know, if that's okay with you, I'll just be ruthless and where are my boxes? Where's my lucky outfit? And it's just so sad to watch. Oh, I have a boyfriend that I don't actually remember 90% of the oh, time. that. <laughs> I hate that plot point. Yeah. <laughs> but what you just said is very interesting because you said that um, because Rory has such a... That's a relatable Asian mindset or characteristics that we all identify with, that she lacked focus. And it's interesting because you would assume that um, with a mother like Mrs. Kim, you could still lack focus because you're forced to focus on something. But that turned out very different for Lorelai because she kind of had like a naggy white you know, upper-class version of an Asian mom. That's Emily because Emily's yeah. controlling, demanding, very dominant in any relationship that she's in. But Lorelai found her identity through that. It wasn't the healthiest way where she where she struggled so long to like base her identity on anything against Emily. But that practice helped her slowly figure out who she was. Whereas Rory had like zero practice. That's true. Rory got too comfortable mm-hmm. in the safe space that her parents uh, created for her, her mother and her grandparents. Mm-hmm. Nobody really challenged her to say, hey, is this really who you are? Apart from Jess on the rare occasion. <laughs> Jess? This is why I like about Jess. He ter- he started out as like the biggest douchebag that I guess every girl kind of falls for because he's smart, witty, and a little bit emo in a sense. But he actually turned out to be the one person that called out Rory on her shit. That is true. Everyone else thought yeah. Rory was so perfect from her family to her boyfriends. Even Logan never called Rory out on her shit very much. No, this is why Logan's my favorite boyfriend in in terms of like what you want to have as a as a girl who aspires for comfort in most situations. Like he is a comfortable boyfriend. He's good looking, he's charming, he spoils her. But I think in the long term you want the type of boyfriend that calls you out on you know what you're potentially messing up or giving up definitely and i don't think rory realizes that's what she needs at all so since we're on that topic about how like there's a parent familial parallel between um, rory and lorelei Laura and emily let's try to touch on asian familial relationship versus gilmore girls in the show you okay with that yeah let's go so there's this like common question that constantly comes up in every culture do women grow up to be their mothers and i feel like there is a lot of like Asian undertones within the characters with their like the relationship they have with their parents. I was just wondering, do you feel like this exists between like the mother and daughter relationships in this show? I think definitely the I I guess the main mother-daughter relationships, Emily and Lorelai. Emily shapes Lorelai through how much Lorelai wants to go against her expectations. And then Lorelai mm-hmm. shapes Rory by kind of being an inspiration to her and she tries for Rory to not go through her mistakes but I guess the way the show developed was that you can't really protect your children from mistakes they just they have to go through the Mm -hmm. same experiences to get that same development which is why Mm -hmm. Rory kind of goes through the same I don't know same boyfriends the same uh not -hmm. being sure what her life is about but I was not mm-hmm. so convinced in some parts by the way the show wanted Rory to kind of like parallel Lorelai's life, especially with the part at the end of mm-hmm. A Year in the Life where she gets pregnant to parallel Lorelai getting pregnant with her. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for me because she's like in her 30s mm-hmm. and she's had such a different growing up experience from what Lorelai had. I think they were stretching it in that mm-hmm. part. But I yeah. feel like... 
I feel like the parallels definitely existed. And like you said, they, they panned out in different ways. Some parts of it made sense. Some parts of it were forced. Um, but I think as an Asian, what was interesting was trying to figure out whether something like filial piety existed in the Gilmore Girls universe because we had a main young protagonist like Rory that was so Asian. We had the tiger mom that wasn't just Mrs. Kim in an Asian face, but also Emily in like in a white woman's face. And th- there is this very strong parallel between elite, uh, well, between general Asian familial culture and elite culture um, with the Gilmores and, and the Huntsburgers. So I was wondering, do you think filial piety, which is what we call xiaoshun in Asian culture, like this need to obey your parents, be respect your parents and care for your parents once you're able to provide financially. Do you see this concept existent in the Gilmore Girls universe? Such a central Asian philosophy, right? In English, yeah, it's such yeah. an unfamiliar word, filial piety, but it's so central it's so in Asia. It's so awkward. Yeah, it, uh-huh. it sounds weird and unfamiliar. And I think if you brought it up to a random American, they might not even know what you mean. But I think you do see it in Gilmore Girls. And that's what Emily and Richard keeps guilting Lorelai about, right? That she left them, that she didn't have the filial piety to not make her parents worry, to let them help her with bringing up her child. And I, mm-hmm. I think that might be also a class difference that, families stick together more yes. in upper class America because you have to get that generational wealth. I think also because like I mean I would argue I would argue that there's more to filial piety than what I'm about to say because it's also a very emotionally invested relationship that children share with their parents and their other family members. Mm-hmm. But filial piety in its essence because if you trace back to how Confucius was um broadcasting this idea it, it it was also a very convenient concept to help govern the country. So there's this like sense of like order and how it it keeps the stronger people strong. It keeps like all the links together. So it's understandable that this type of mindset would be existent in the elite class because a lot of their relationships and privileges are based on connections, based on staying loyal to those connections, those ideals and those mentalities. Mm-hmm. So um, so I see why you would point out that because they're an elite class, it seems more evident that they would try to guilt trip their dollar to, let's say, continuing the bloodline to maintain the loyalty between clans and between, you know, this privileged bloodline. Yeah, and you see it as well with Lorelai and Rory because yes, Rory is a lot more dependent on her mother than the average American youth, don't you think? Yeah, it, it's so Asian, like... I because you know like in Asia like you're you're not meant to leave the family until you're married yeah right yeah and so and I feel like Asians develop a very I'd say questionable mindset um throughout that process but it's it's a given in our society we just emotionally financially or in any way remain dependent on our parents until the moment we say hey I met someone it's my turn to figure out what it means to be adults. And it doesn't really weigh us down with guilt to still be emotionally or financially dependent on our parents or living in their house when we're already adults Mm -hmm. until we're married. And it seems like Rory Mm -hmm. feels the same way. She seemed totally comfortable to be still using her mother's house as like a part-time base, Mm -hmm. even into her 30s. Whereas I think for a lot of Mm -hmm. American people, they would consider that like a sign of failure that she's still living out of her parents house in her 30s well i think people value their adulthood and their independence once they realize how much you can figure out not necessarily for the best i don't know it differs with every individual but independence and adulthood and maturity found through true independence um, is something that i think people eventually cherish in the long run yeah you know this thing a lot of animals do where they raise their young and once they reach a certain mm-hmm. age, they're like, okay, I kick you out now. You need to learn how to be independent. I think we mm-hmm. sort of need to do that as humans as well, even if you have a strong familial bond and you're having a good relationship. Like the 20s, mm-hmm. when you're in your 20s, that's the time when you need to be separate from your parents to find your own identity. And part of Rory's problem is that she well- didn't do that. And she just remained tied to her house in her hometown, her mom. 
But I think we're also dealing with extremes when it comes to these cultural differences, right? Because like, um, I mean, I, I base this on anecdotal experience. Um, I had a Muslim roommate uh, when I was studying abroad in America. And I realized there was a lot of like parallels between Muslim culture and East Asian culture when it came to familial bonds. And the common critique was we don't understand, we have this impression and we don't understand the meaning behind this impression, which is why um, white Americans have this culture where they kick their kids out around 18 and then they make their kids go through student debt. Right. Whereas in like in Muslim and Asian culture, you are expected to help each other out. You're expected to not give your kids such a hard time, especially when you as parents are financially capable of providing. So and I'm like excluding people where you're not financially capable of helping out your kids. That's it's not the, the fault's not on you. I'm just saying because my, my roommate brought up something very interesting. She was like, you know, it, a lot of these parents actually do have the financial um, resources to help their kids out. But because of their culture the kids end up with a ton of student debt that's unreasonable, especially um, in America. Yeah, from my point of view, that goes too far because if you're capable of giving them the privilege of not starting life with debt, that's not teaching them how life works. That's just, you know, making it easier for them to make success by themselves independently. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I feel like... Yes, it does. And I think Emily and Richard failed on that notion because they did the same thing with Rory. They were paying for her education and they were using it as a way to bo- to guilt trip both her mom and Rory herself to maintain this loyal bond between them that they were forcing through monetary means. Yeah. Ideally, you would be able to have that kind of uh, lack of financial burden, just start afresh mm-hmm. as a young college graduate. And not be so tied to your mm-hmm. family and be able to go out into the world and build something independently. Mm-hmm. And then when you reach, I don't know, your 30s mm-hmm. or 40s, you carry on with the familial bond. Your parents are old. You do what you need. Uh, it's very interesting because I, I hear so much in Asian culture, like the whole point of pro- providing for your kids financially is to expect the same thing in return when you get older. I hear, I don't know if you hear this a lot in China, but Absolutely. I hear so much in my culture where like, yeah, like they, they're like, oh, we're having kids because we need someone to take care of us or provide for us, provide for us when we're old. And that's where the guilt tripping happens, which is why it, when it comes to Asian culture, this whole codependency, this whole like financial safety network, all it's, it's all so extreme. It's very hard to deal with. It's what every Asian person struggles with. And it's very visible in the Gilmore Girls universe. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a problem. I've I've been thinking about that one recently, whether it's right to expect your children to provide for you in your old age. I mean, they didn't ask to be born, but in Asia, we just think it's so obvious that your parents expended the resources to bring you up into an adult. So Mm -hmm. you owe them something in their old age. And that's also part of the core concept of filial piety, right? Yeah, I think... What I what I struggle with filial piety is that I feel like it should be a voluntary emotion. Yeah. I think that should be the beauty of it, right? Like, it's so often distorted. It, you can twist it to say that it's very capitalist. It could even be very communist if you think about how the resources are distributed. And emotionally, it, it's, it's tormenting in, in many cases because not every Asian kid or not every kid in general shares a very healthy relationship with their parents. But I feel like so often in so many East Asian cultures or Asian cultures in general, it's it's just been misused. And it should be about like the fact that you you grew up in a family where your parents did everything they could to keep you safe, loved, you know, and, 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 and well brought up. And you do the same thing in return because that's what you generally do for people you love. You help them out when things get hard. Yeah, it's so often just used as a guilt trip or judgment of how other people is behaving when it should be seen as something voluntary and unique to each person, just like, you know, romantic relationships and friendships. Um, well, since we're already on the topic of how um, children have this very interesting relationship with their parents, there's in Asia where they're super codependent until marriage occurs. And since we're talking about this, because I know that we... Um, went through the questions earlier today i think this brings up the topic of how like the characters in the gilmore girl universe they use marriage as a tool that is very identical to how asians utilize marriage as a tool to fix a lot of problems that being said the first one that would occur to us is like you know as an asian 
you tend to get married sort of as an escape because that's the only excuse you have to tell your parents, hey, I'm leaving. I'm starting my own thing. I'm leaving. Leave me alone. Basically. <laughs> and I feel like it's very convenient in Asian culture, believe it or not. And I feel like it's equally convenient. It shares the same logic between how it's utilized in the Gilmore Girls universe. Would you like to expand on that? Okay, is this the point where I can do my rant about Lane accepting yes, Zach's proposal? Yes. Oh my god. Yes. Okay, let me recap for people <laughs> who may not have watched it in a long time. So Lane and Zach were in their band, right? And they were almost at the point where they were going to make it. There was somebody from a management agency coming to see them. Then Zach had this weird jealousy issue and he screwed up the whole thing. And then the band broke up and then Zach and Lane broke up. And uh, it seemed like a few months or weeks passed and Zach was like, oh no, I'm so sad. I miss Lane. What am I going to do? And then he came to Luke's diner where Lane was working and then made a speech that was basically like, I have sad feelings because we broke up and I don't know what to do about it. So will you marry me? And when I watched that part, I was screaming yeah. at the screen. You cannot accept that proposal. That is not healthy. You broke up. And his, <laughs> his reaction to him not being able to deal with his emotions of missing you is, girls like marriage. I'll get, I'll get her a ring. That would solve everything. And she just says yes. And it all works out. And that's so unrealistic. But that's the same thing that you hear in a lot of Asian, like, like Asian based situations. Like one of the person, whether it could be the girl, it could be the guy. They need this clean break from whatever shitty situation they are in, in either life. Like they hit a rut in their relationship or when they're dealing with other personal issues, like losing a job. Well, I have, I, well, losing a job sounds like something that might happen. Uh, or you're dealing with overprotective, or overcontrolling parents. And in that case, Marriage seems like the perfect way where you gain this sort of autonomy of like temporarily over life in a sense. And yeah. It's such a reflex um like you get pregnant, okay, get married. Hello, this kid was born to two irresponsible adults. You really want them to force this thing? Like, come on, let's take this constructively. It's not gonna work out. I know. Marriage as a way to solve life problems should not be a thing. I know. And I feel like a lot of the characters actually do this in the Gilmore Girls universe. Like, there's Luke and Lorelai. They do it to each other. And then there's Christopher. Like, oh, you Christopher. knew that she got out of a very serious relationship. You knew you were competing with someone important because you got so jealous about Luke. And you thought the best way to fix your insecurities and the best way to, like, you know, make sure your chances were all, like, set was to, like insist on jumping into a committed relationship with her and then like using marriage as like using Paris as a way to deal with marriage like to, to bring up marriage like come on but Christopher had Could been waiting for cliche, so cliche? long you can tell that he's been in love with her the whole time Desperate. but he just didn't sort his shit out in time to kind of prove himself to her but maybe he never could have proved well, that's himself on him. to her because I don't think Lorelai ever had confidence in him as a husband but she was just in that place yeah. of her life when he proposed in Paris and she was like okay may maybe this is what I do now and I kind of I put the blame more on Lorelai for accepting because she should have known better I think they're both to blame and then I was very angry at her for how she behaved after they got married like she was so rude and mean with <laughs> her parents wanted to throw him a wedding party and she was like wedding party Parents so horrible wanting to throw me a party. Uh, and she didn't want to take Christopher around the town because she was self-conscious about the townspeople liking her with Luke. And it was so clear that she just didn't want to be with Christopher. So why did she say yes? Well, frankly, Christopher didn't do well with all these like public appearances. He basically screwed up everything in the town or everything that she liked about her life. He... She just wasn't a fit. Yeah, I guess, but I'm not surprised about that part, that he doesn't fit into the sweet <laughs> Star's Hollow Town life, whereas Lorelai could have known better. And, but I also feel like you're also putting a lot of emphasis on like how Lorelai is supposed to be more sensible when she herself you know, was put in a position where she had to grow up really fast to be a teen mom. And then she devoted like most of her energy and time into being that mom. And then she sort of de she delayed her personal development significantly for 16 years at least yeah right? that's true 
like the show made her commitment issues very clear, and she didn't really yeah. deal with them until probably the end of the revival, right? So I think what's interesting is that even though Lorelai and Christopher married for the most Asian region reasons, like oh you're the father of my child, because like that's a very common theme in Asia, like when you get pregnant, it has to be yeah. A union that continues the bloodline, the purity of the bloodline, and it's better for the kid. And they married because Christopher is the right guy. He's the right. He's the guy in the right tax bracket. You know, the right upbringing. He's pure. Also, Qing Mei Zhu Ma. They grew up together. Yeah, yeah, they grew up together. But I felt like Lorelai dealt with the marriage in the most American. I'm sorry. Well, not America. Ah, that's that's a very. <sighs> We're going to offend people with this podcast. But she dealt it in a very American way from our perspective as agents because we tend to frown upon divorces. It is a disgrace. I mean, it is not, it's not likely today, I mean, with whole, the feminism yeah. being going on, but, you know, it is kind of a disgrace. Like, even now, myself, as a young Asian, I don't think divorce is wrong, but I do kind of frown upon how frivolously Lorelai treated her marriage with Christopher. Mm-hmm. I think it was a mistake for her to enter it in the first place, but... Once she has gotten married, whether you eloped or not, you need to work harder on that, not just give up the moment you realize that you probably weren't ready mm-hmm. for this. And honestly, mm-hmm. I know the narrative of the story is that Luke is the one for her, but realistically, she could have worked mm-hmm. it out with Christopher if she tried harder, but she just didn't. That's true. And it, bringing us to Luke and Lorelai, hey, those two literally used marriage as like, the ultimate weapon to fix everything that was wrong or not wrong everything that required more effort in their relationship communication um transparency honesty (laughs) yeah they had that whole weird thing going on with marrying and not getting married in the original series and then the big finale of the revival is that eventually they do get married right i didn't watch yeah they do they do it takes forever for them to get married, though. <laughs> it makes no sense to me that it took them like 15 years to decide that, yeah, marriage is the right choice for the two of us. I mean, I would argue differently. I mean, I feel like I agree that in the earlier parts of their relationship, both of them used marriage as a way to avoid discussions. Like, she wanted to avoid having to constantly disappoint her parents, having to constantly prove to her parents that Luke was a better match. So she thought, hey, if I got married, that would fix that. And he also thought of marrying her as a way to fix the insecurities that was developing between both of them because of Christopher, because of April. April's a kid, right? Yeah. So in that sense, they were immature. But I feel like in the end, that long time period wasn't entirely a bad idea because I would advocate for a longer relationship before considering marriage because marriage is a very complicated um agreement between two people i mean this is not spoken enough in asian culture which is why we're both addressing this from like a more multicultural third cultural type of perspective (laughs) i feel like the thing that i do like about luke and lorelei's relationship is that they gave it time because marriage should be something that is hard to build hard to get into um but that much and you shouldn't just leave maybe I shouldn't be putting a timeline on this kind of thing but I think I would feel like okay say you need three years or even five years of living together getting to know each other before you commit to marriage Mm -hmm. that makes sense to me but 15 years of living with a person being in a relationship (laughs) what is it keeping you from making that final leap like what is the difference do you see that? And Luke and Lorelai aren't the best. I see I see the difference. Um, I've had friends that I've discussed this with and they're definitely, I think there are merits, this type of mindset. And But unfortunately, Luke and Lorelai are not the best examples because um, the thing that was addressed between some of my friends and I was that when you solidify the relationship with a marriage, a lot of things becomes a given, especially in Asian culture. The husband or the wife is supposed to behave in a certain way not just to eat towards each other, but also towards their in-laws. Oh, yeah. And exactly. that could be very toxic. Yeah, that could be very toxic for a long-lasting relationship. Whereas if you can't, you're constantly in the boyfriend and girlfriend stage, you are more aware of handling compromise constructively. So I see the merit that. Unfortunately, I feel like Luke just, like, he just... He just follows Lorelai in almost every sense. Besides that one time where he decided to prioritize his daughter. 
So they're not the best couple to <laughs> to use as an example. Yeah, but now that you mention it, I I find it fascinating how nuanced it is. These social expectations of what it means、mm. to be living together, what it means to be married, and how they're different in each culture. How do we just know these things? How is there not like a guidebook somewhere to refer to that would help a lot? Well. There are guidebooks. They're just not called guidebooks. There are there are a lot of relationship experts, psychologists, cultural anthropologists. Yeah, there are a lot of people telling us how you can approach it. Not necessarily scientifically, but at least constructively, mindfully. That's true. I guess they can't be called guidebooks because no one is the ultimate authority on this kind of thing. Exactly, and the thing is, like those are books you read on your own. Those are not common books that people. Well, I mean, I'm not. I mean, there are definitely book clubs where these books becomes a common theme, but it's not a popular topic. You would probably be mentioning something about the Kardashians more than about, hey, let's revisit the idea of marriage and how is it different centuries ago and how is it like today. No, you're going to be more interested in Taylor Swift's new album. You're going to be more interested in Trump, in Obama, in in Biden, and you know, like you're always. Consumed by something that's, in a way, I feel like easier to emotionally grapple because marriage itself—that's a good point.、Asian、and or, yeah, as they showed、uh, in Gilmore Girls with Luke and the self-help books, there's kind of a stigma towards looking into this kind of、mm. thing. Everyone kind of because he was hiding it all the time. Just like you need to have it figured out yourself. There's somehow a failure in needing to read a book to know this kind of thing. But you you do need、mm. it. Look at Luke; he found out a lot from those books. Yeah, and I think this is one of the universal themes between both cultures is that emotional development, although more openly addressed in Western culture, is still something that every modern individual struggles with on a daily basis. Absolutely. So yeah, on on the topic of marriages, we missed out a big one:、um, Rory and、oh, really? Logan's proposal. Oh yeah, yeah. Before we wrap up, let's、yeah. see: Ro- Logan and Rory. Well, I'm just gonna cut to the chase. I think Rory was stupid from a very Asian perspective. The nepotism that comes with marrying、oh, the Hunsberries,、no. come on, and the alimony, the di- the divorce would have guaranteed her like a. I mean, because she's a Gilmore. It's not like Emily and Richard would have let her sign a prenup that was like, that was detrimental to her situation. It w- must have it must have been a relatively fair prenup that sh- both of them could benefit from, and so. If it turned out that she hated the Hunsburgers, that she wasn't fit for the corporate style, Rory could have left with a lot of benefits: the the net, the networking she made, the acquaintances, the connections, and the experience she got being such a in such a privileged position. And the fact that she loved Logan, I don't understand. I like,、know. why? I love that you immediately cut to the divorce and the benefits that she could get from the divorce. But there's nothing bad that could come out of marrying Logan Hunsberger. Yeah, even on、right? the subject of marriage, I I also felt like she should have accepted, not from such a financial point of view, but even from where she was at in her life when he proposed. Okay, so she's graduated from university. She doesn't have a job. She has a stable boyfriend of three years, who's already been out in society and can give her the insight of how to compose yourself as a young adult and start yourself in the job market. And she says no. I've been trying to explore why she would. I applaud the whole feminists who are like, "Oh, I'm not ready for marriage. Marriage is such a heteronormal normative concept." Sure. Yes, there's that. But fundamentally, we're humans, and since Rory majorly fucked up later when she was thirty, yeah, those set aside. Logan never said walk down the aisle with me tomorrow. He said let's take our relationship the next step. Yeah, let's get engaged. He never said they could have like, a long engagement. Yeah, and I feel like it's not unfeminist to want to be with someone. It's not unmodern to want to commit to a heteronormal relationship, and she definitely had leverage. To negotiate the terms to their relationship or the event, the inevitable marriage, but she chose to go on as his mistress. Like, I mean, the whole show spent three seasons building up how precious their relationship was, how he helped her, how she helped him grow up, and then she's his mistress. It's like that part really is like outrageous. You turn down the proposal of your boyfriend of three years that you've been through so much with, only to fifteen years later be his mistress while. 
he's engaged to some corporate girl. I'm not saying being a mistress is bad. I mean, like, there's definitely different ways to read this. But I just feel like you basically said that all the work Rory did as the relatively more mature person when she was in college as compared to Logan's shenanigans and, like, outbursts. You know, all that, like, she mothered that person in the end. I mean, yes, she had her she had her moments, but, like... But in the end he made her his mistress i mean like you can be a feminist and be applaud female sexuality but no girl who is emotionally invested in someone that she cares about enjoys being a mistress i know it's and just that's why you're so toxic it's not remotely a healthy relationship yeah. and isn't it disappointing that after 15 years all logan knows about rory is that she needs is that he assumes that she needs more money he assumes that she needs more space where jess is the only person that says do this, do that. He challenges her. And Logan's like, I have money. I have a house. I have another house. <laughs> I have a dad. <laughs> Basically. Although that might explain why they're not married. That's true. Maybe it turned out for the best. <laughs> My theory for why she turned Logan down is that she felt like she needed the potential to develop, to be somebody of her own, and she didn't want to be yes. tied down to Rory, who's going to marry Logan, her college boyfriend, which is fine. I can empathize with that, it's even fine. if I don't think it's a good choice. But they then totally trashed that in the revival by showing that she did not make yeah. anything great of her potential at all. So my, my ending note in how I feel about Gilmore Girls is that it was a great story, but I'm quite disappointed in how they developed I'm emotionally disappointed but like now that I've had a few years because like I watched it when you know up till season seven and I waited as long as everybody did to wait for the revival and I've had some distance as compared to like because you just watched it last year right I emotionally was very disappointed about Rory's development but I felt like it was a it was a wake-up call and it was very real I felt like I don't think Amy Sherman Palladino disappointed me in the way how Rory turned out because I feel like that's real life when you're born with certain privileges when you're that type of personality you do fuck up you squander your privileges and Rory's real because these people do exist um which is why I think uh I'm not entirely disappointed with the show it's just you know Rory's like our sister in a sense so we kind of grew up with her in, in a certain way and could have done better sister could have done better it was a hard <laughs> pill for me to swallow but from this kind of perspective, I guess the show made us think more by showing her fail at life than just giving us the happy, mm-hmm. fuzzy feelings of seeing her succeed. Yeah, so like kudos to the creators because I'm pretty sure when... I'm not pretty sure. Maybe you guys magically have this in mind, but it appealed to two Asian girls at least in many ways. It helped us rethink our identity as Asians. It helped us revisit our experiences as Asians through the widest person in the show that turned out to be the most relatably Asian person. Yeah. So thank you, Gilmore Girls. We've had so much fun doing two episodes on her. And yeah, I think that's it. Anything else to add on? The moral of the story is try not to be like Rory. Try not to be like Rory. (laughs) Yes. Try not to be like Rory. Um, maybe strive for a Lorelei. That might be more ideal. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that. We hope you enjoyed our ticklish prattle, and we'll definitely see you guys soon. Yep. Goodbye. See you next time.